Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, January 3rd. When communicating face-to-face with others, express your thoughts also through your eyes. To rely only on words is to reduce communication by half. Well, January 2nd also had to do with the eyes, and I spoke a great deal about the eyes as the window to the soul. So I'm going to take the luxury of assuming that at some point or another, You'll also hear January 2nd, and then we'll know more about the eyes. So I'm going to just talk a little bit about communication, words versus other ways of communicating. There was a time when I was uh, uh, swept up in litigation that was uh, an effort, uh, was an attack on Ananda, two different lawsuits, although they were closely related. It was a theological dispute, an an effort by one branch, of the uh, of what I would call master's family, Yogananda's spiritual family, to hold a monopoly on the guru's teachings and, and an effort to, to discredit us as being a legitimate branch of the guru's work. These, these things happen. They just happen. And then when uh, the courts wouldn't support religious monopoly, there was a satellite lawsuit that was an attempt to just prove that we were morally reprehensible and therefore needed to be pushed aside for that reason. So we had 12 years, 12 very interesting, somewhat quite, somewhat challenging years of uh, an intensely expensive litigation, which all ended, uh, we, we were judged morally reprehensible, just so that you'll know, because, because not all legal processes deal with the truth, and that's putting it mildly. But the end of all of it was it made us all exceedingly strong, and much stronger in the work that we're doing. It's one thing to say, this is my spiritual path, this is my spiritual family, when everybody around you thinks, oh, that's so wonderful, they're such wonderful people, I'm so happy that you found your family. It's quite another when everybody's telling you that you're the idiotic dupe of a fiendish leader, and everything that you believe is just a cult, and if you weren't so brainwashed, you would know that, and that secret nefarious things are going on and you just don't know it. I mean, it's really, it's quite an adventure. I recommend it for everyone. And God often sends it to serious spiritual people, some kind of persecution, some kind of an effort to see why you believe what you believe. Because we think we believe something because it's comfortable to believe it. What happens when it's quite uncomfortable to believe it? What happens when there is a tremendous, even a violent force trying to get you to repudiate what you believe, what happens to you then? And then we get to find out what I really believe, just because I'm talking about it. Um, during that period of time, people would come to me and, and you know, sort of talk to me about what was going on, and I was always at, completely open, as completely open as I could be, which was quite open, there are certain aspects of a litigation where you end up having to honor certain confidentialities, but within the boundaries of that, which was a pretty wide street, I 
would just tell everybody everything that I knew. I figure if I could know it, they could know it. But I, I did almost nothing to persuade because I felt if someone comes to me and wants me to persuade them that they should have faith in what I'm doing, um, if I have to persuade them, that means that the next person is going to come and try to persuade them. Otherwise, they're just going to be persuaded by that person. It has to be something that a person knows from their own experience. It's not dependent on anyone's point of view. It is what I know intuitively because it is my life and here I stand. So I certainly encouraged people to remain steadfast, but I wanted them above all to be steadfast to truth as they understood it. And uh, you know, we got through it well. It was the most expansive period of Ananda's history. And you know, there it is. And that's, that's just a by the way. But in the middle of that litigation, which was collective rather than personal, I had to sit for a deposition. Um, and a deposition is when you have a court reporter or you have, you have somebody, a stenographer taking it down somehow, and you're under oath. It's just, it's not in front of a judge, it's, it's with the lawyers, but you're under oath. And so your deposition is your sworn testimony on a certain issue, and they ask you questions because what you do in a, in a lawsuit is everybody tries to find out as much as possible what the facts are what, or what you're going to present as your evidence so that you can decide in advance all these various things. It's really long, and it's actually quite interesting, but it's not the point. So I'm, I'm being deposed, is what they call it, which has that interesting other meaning, which is to also be kicked off of your throne. But anyway, I'm being deposed, and my lawyer has... Um, our lawyer has trained me and all of us how to how to answer questions in a deposition. And the main principle in a deposition is just tell them what they ask. And because you don't want to be telling them what they don't know. I mean, let me phrase it differently. You want them to discover what the evidence is. You don't want to be making their case for them. So it's not like you withhold information, but if they don't think to explore a certain area, don't raise your hand and say, you might also be interested in this, ask me questions about this. You should answer the question that's asked, and that's enough. So I'm a very verbal person, and I really, I, I understand nuance, but I'm also quite intuitive in communication. And what was fascinating about having your deposition told, taken was the realization of how little communication is actually verbal. Because when you're actually just listening to the words and just answering the question that was actually asked, you realize that most of the time you're not answering the question that's asked in words, you're asking the question that's asked. You, you feel the question, you know what someone wants, your, your minds connect, you transfer ideas even intuitively. I mean, with everyone, certainly in our spiritual family where we all meditate, it happens constantly. But even just in regular communication, words are a very small percentage of communication. So what Swami's saying is, um, express your thoughts also through your eyes. And it's, what he's saying, express your thoughts also through your eyes. And we think of thoughts as concepts, you know, that we put on words, and then we, we make, it, make the words say it. But you can tell also how 
communication is not verbal when you... I have one particular... When you have friends who are... who express uh, with their feelings and not so much with their words. We have one... I have one friend who's very expressive. She's also very articulate, but she's very expressive. And she'll often say, I mean, I was there. I wish you could have been. It was so... I mean, it was just so like, wow... And I actually know exactly what she means. <laughs> but if you wrote it down on a piece of paper, I was there, I wish you'd been there, it was so like, wow. Like, where, what, who? You wouldn't have any idea. But in her company, you knew exactly what she talked about. Because it was, it was there, it was in nuance, it was in feeling, it was, it was a thought transference, just like that. There's a very funny movie. It's, you know, some decades old now. It's called My Cousin Vinny. It was a real classic, and part of it was this guy, it was a comedy, this guy uh, gets accused of, of, this, of murder, and he's being interviewed by the policeman, and he, he thinks he's been pulled over uh, for accidentally walking out of the convenience store and not paying for a can of tuna. He thinks he's being stopped for accidentally shoplifting, but it turns out after he left, somebody killed the clerk. So he's being interviewed, and the policeman says something about killing the clerk. So the, the actor in the play says, I killed the clerk? And he said something about the clerk being dead. And he says, I killed the clerk? Like that. He says it about three times. So in court, it, the, you know, the policeman says, I asked the suspect about the clerk. And he said, I killed the clerk. <laughs> and so then three times he's confessed, I killed the clerk. <laughs> But of course, that's not at all what he said. And then the whole thing spins out. It, it's actually, if you haven't seen it, it's quite a very, it's a very funny movie. <clears throat> During the 12 years of litigation that I mentioned, we must have watched that movie at least a dozen times. No, I think even more, because I think we watched it more than once a year. It's this absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous courtroom story, just in which it is. It's hilariously funny. And when our whole life would be too much for us, Somebody would say, let's watch My Cousin Vinny. And we'd sit together to watch that movie because it reminded us that life is a joke no matter what. They were all children of God and this is just a divine dream that we're going through and we don't have to take it so seriously. We have to be committed to it. We have to work hard. We have to do our best. And sometimes our hearts get broken. But in the end, it's, it's God's lila. Lila is, means divine play. It's a divine play to liberate our souls from delusion and to bring us into an eternity of bliss. And everything that happens is just a means to an end. Yes, that is a very challenging teaching. I don't pretend for a second to actually be able to live it every minute, but I know it's true and it's a great comfort. You know, this is a school and we're here to learn. Most of us learn very slowly, so it's a long, it's a lot of years to get our PhD out of this thing. Master put it perfectly when he said, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what happens to you. The only thing that matters is what you become from what happens to you. Do we become lighter in the spirit, closer to God, more expansive, compassionate, kind? Or do we become small and bitter and mean and revengeful? And if we do that, then we just get to do it all again. 
It's just as simple as that because we get to keep coming back and we get to keep trying until we can feel the divine play behind us. Now, that requires understanding of karma and reincarnation and lots of really big ideas. These are ideas that I discuss more explicitly um, on the YouTube channel that I have. I have a website, ashajoy.org. And if you start there, you'll find, because it's worth learning. So going back exactly to where we are, to rely only on words is to reduce communication by half, is what Swami is saying here. So knowing that this is actually an energy universe, this is something that science has, has put out for us, that this apparent separation of one physical thing from another is only just apparent. It's not, it's not the actual reality behind creation. We are all patterns of energy. So if you think about that, there's a cartoon that I have referenced elsewhere in these um, in this series, but I'll say it here too because I always remembered it. It was uh, the caption was a quote from Einstein, and and the and the the cartoon was quite old, from closer to the time when I when Einstein's revelations were just becoming more commonly known. And it was a it was a sketch of a street scene in some place that looked like New York, you know, just where there were apartments with you know, right down to the sidewalk with little stairs leading up and sort of a crowded street. And you saw all these different characters. You see a cab driver and he's stopped his cab and he's has his arm, his head on his, uh, his chin on his hand and he's looking very pensive. And you see a street sweeper who has paused for a moment in his work and is leaning on his broom and sort of looking thoughtfully up at the sky. You see a little child who was playing with a, a hoop and a stick and is sort of hold the hoop and is thoughtful, the mother over here holding the babe. The caption from Einstein is, people must gradually accustom themselves to an energy concept of the universe. So you see the man on the street and the woman on the street everywhere gradually accustoming themselves to an energy concept of the universe. But it's a very important idea because if this world is just energy, then what, what, what are our interactions based on? And what capacity do we have actually to communicate and to touch each other? So when, when I'm talking to someone face to face and I can look through their eyes as the window into their soul and, and through my eyes project far more than just an intellectual thought, but the, the whole content of the consciousness I'm trying to share, why would I not do that? Why would I not want to really be with someone and share with someone? And why would I not want to cultivate that as a talent, as actually far more important than just putting the words together in the right order? You see, our potential is so much more than we know. So, when communicating face-to-face with others, Express your thoughts also through your eyes. To rely only on words is to reduce communication by half. God bless you, my friends.
Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.